Hey, Mark. So good hey, to Marcus. see you. You too. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's very, very hot here. Um, tomorrow is meant to be breaking all the records. So, um, yeah, prepared for that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I and came back you? from uh, I came back from Japan last night, and I was expecting it to be very hot here. But actually, actually here in Berlin, it's pretty nice today, like a cool breeze and uh, and very sunny. So it's perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like your colorful shirt. Yeah, you know, I have um, sort of changed my whole uh, not appearance. Uh, generally, I guess, but like I'm not wearing black shirts anymore mm. for the time being. I don't don't even know how that happened, but uh, there's something about um, uh, I'm feeling quite different than I used to in the past decades. Color. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, we we recorded uh, a new tier album which we still need to kind of like put together and mix. Um, it's always nice, like tear or I call it tear, um, is, is an ongoing project that we started uh, during the pandemic, right? Mm. And it kind of like goes, goes back, well, well, we actually before did then, record yeah. stuff before the pandemic, mm. yeah. But uh, during the pandemic, we started doing these sessions at a distance, which is remotely, which is really a cool, a cool thing. It is because we can actually record live without worrying about the timing, which is kind of unique. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of incredible. Mm. And remember that very first, first uh, duo session we did together at La Casa Morada in 2016? Was it 16? Could be. I think so. Yes, huh? I do remember it. Um, that, that remains unreleased. It's still... It's still in Leonardo's hands, basically, right? Mm. I mean, we have the files, so we could put it out, but we need to just uh, give his, you know, he needs to give his okay for us to do that at some point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you've got some questions for me? No, I don't. Well, you know, I'm as you as I as I said, you know, there are no introductions and there's going to be no edits. So even if there's like silence for twenty seconds, that's the way it's it okay. is, and that's how I like these conversations to go. Um, yeah, Mark. I mean, like I'm um, I'm super interested in your background, and you you told me uh, something about your background a while back. But um, so can you can you uh, Tell me a little bit about uh, your childhood, how and well, where and how you uh, were brought up and how the family situation was. Um, yeah, um, we traveled around a lot. Um, my dad was uh, my dad was an orphan. Um, his parents uh, were both uh Russian immigrants, Jews escaping from persecution in Russia. Um, and so he was brought up in a, a kind of a, I guess a Jewish ghetto. It would, it would really have been in, in Connecticut um, by, um, by relatives. Um, and so he had to make his way in the world and 
he really wanted to be an academic, but didn't have any money. So he joined the army as a way of paying for his um, ability to, to, to go to university. So he was in the army and we traveled all around the US when I was a, a baby. I was born in Oklahoma um, in a Native American hospital. Um, and then we traveled there all, all around. And eventually, uh, when I was, I guess, about two or something, my mum's English and they'd met. She was over in the, in the US working and they'd met. And so, um, and she's from a completely different background. Um, and then we went over to the UK uh, when I was about two and a half, something. Stayed there till I was um, six or something. So I started school in the UK and then we went back to the US. Because uh, my dad actually, the reason we went over there was my dad actually got a, a uh, acceptancy to Oxford to do a doctorate there. Um, and so we went over to the UK so that he could do that. Um, and then after he finished that, he got a job in the US, went back to the US. And so I grew up in the US, ended up moving eventually to a suburb of Boston. So and what, did you, what did your father study? He, um, what was called psychology at the time, but really is neurology. And he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, still a working, uh, in the, in the same field, uh, studying how the brain understands speech, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. using brain scans and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that he'd be called, uh, mm -hmm. a neurology and a neurologist or, or something along those lines now, but, but in those days, Neuro, called neuroscience, neuroscientist, neuroscientist exactly, neuroscientist. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, then we stayed in the U S until I was sort of 1920 then moved back to the UK because my parents split up at that point uh, they went over there for kind of a, my dad was out of sabbatical, um, uh, and he decided to come back to the U S and I stayed in the UK and then met my, my wife, maybe mm -hmm. two, three years after that. And I've been here ever since. Interesting. Uh, that's that, that I find that really interesting because like the 20 first 20 years of one's life are very, they're important for like the cultural identity, right? It's, uh, it must, must have been quite something to, uh, to come to Europe. And I mean, you've always had your mother as the, the European counterpart, mm. let's say, mm. but, uh, so, so how, how was that for you coming to Europe? Um, I immediately liked it. Um, I mean, Yeah, part of me is kind of American because I grew up there and I, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in Boston, the city as a kind of, you know, as a young man, just doing stuff. And, 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 um, a lot of that is, um, and all my early musical experiences were playing in bands in Boston, mainly with Berkeley students. I didn't actually go to Berkeley, but everybody I played with, we're all going to Berkeley. Um, I was too stubborn to go to, <laughs> to go to music school. I was going to do it my own way regardless. <laughs> um, but I learned mm -hmm. by proxy. I mean, I, every time they, to be honest, I studied more than they did. They'd, they'd come back and I just like dragged out everything out of them that they, they'd learned and devoured it. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of my brain, at least from my perspective, seems seems to work a little 
a little differently than than some people. I, I, I knew I couldn't kind of learn in the conventional way. I wasn't going to, I had to do it my own way. There was no way I was going to go to a class and, and take it in, in a certain order. I had to look at everything. And, and I spent actually, um, after I spent a couple of years playing around Boston, I, I came over to the UK and, and I spent a, a year really just pulling every bit of musical information I had. And I read loads of books and just pulling it all apart and, and, and filling notebooks and notebooks with it all and kind of rearranging it and looking at it all. And I kind of rebuilt music theory from the ground up in my own kind of way. And I, I knew I had to do that because I knew that there was no way I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do, play what I wanted to play, learning it the normal way. I had to find my own way to do it. So I just reassembled it all exactly the same stuff in a way that fit my brain. And, and that, yeah, that, that worked for me. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Is is there a way for you to explain what that sort of like rearranging or reinvention of music theory is or was for you so that you could learn it better? Yeah, I think a lot of it was around the guitar. I knew I had to rearrange it in a way around the guitar so that I could play it. I guess I somehow knew that if I was going to play what I wanted to play, the, the way I wanted to play, that I, I wasn't going to, I couldn't be thinking about it. That it had to be something that was so natural to the way my brain worked that it was sort of automatic. And I, I looked at the normal ways of learning scales and chords and all of that and thought, this is not going to happen that way. Uh, I'm not going to get to that stage. So um, that was what it was mainly about was... Um, how can I rearrange this in such a way that so on the guitar I can do this? I can sh I can understand exactly what scale notes are going to be necessary for whatever chord comes up um, and change between those without think a thinking process going on and how I can map that across the guitar fretboard in a way that um, little and no, as little thinking as possible was going to be necessary. Um, And that led me eventually to, to tuning in all fourths, but I, I, that was much later on. Um, so it was, yeah, it was all based around that really. How can I, how can I do that? And I'm, what I did was I looked for the things my brain is good at, which is, I mean, that's the other thing I'm dyslexic. So that caused some issues, um, in the way I would look and way I learn and, and so forth. But, um, what I am good at is seeing patterns. So, um, I looked for patterns, ways of looking at the whole thing in, in a kind of in patterns and overlapping superimposed patterns and superimposed over other, other patterns. And eventually came back to the exactly the same place that you'd find in any music textbook, but the underpinnings mm -hmm. are all completely different. If you see what I mean. So when you're talking about patterns, were those, or are those sort of like more or less visual patterns is that like are you thinking of strings and frets and stuff something like that and and do you see like the little dots to start uh, with like it was tablature or to start with it was it was that it uh like um i see scales as like step patterns like a piano Uh, or just not even a piano, but just step step patterns. So you know, halt and halt and semitone, halt and so forth. I see all scales 
like that, but superimposed over that are, are intervals, like the interval content of the scale. So it's got, I've got those two things. It's kind of like two layers, almost like transparent layer on top of another layer. And I kind of see them always there at the same time. So I know where I am in the step pattern and I see that pattern across the fretboard, but I also know where the intervals are and I can shift those intervals across the step pattern. So mm -hmm. that's how I will um, change a scale um, if it's of the same step pattern, like it's a mode of a major scale or a melodic minor or whatever, I shift the uh, I shift it across the step pattern. So I, I shift the interval map, as it were. And of course, the intervals change, but it's still that same map with some changes. But I still see the step pattern and where I am and where I've shifted across that. So that to me was the way my brain works. That's like a, the quickest, easiest way to access kind of any scale at any time and switch between any scale at any time. But that, so I started with that kind of idea and, and, and that worked, but you know, then I realized, well, it's all about the ear really. So I spent a long time working on, on getting my ear, training my ear. So it's mainly for me now, it's, it's just the ears. I'm just listening for the sound that I want. And that map is now automatic enough that I don't really think about it. And it just does its thing to kind of find the sound that I know I'm after. Or sometimes I don't know what sound I'm after and I'm just, stuff's just happening. But nonetheless, that kind of, you know, the structure is there when I need it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's very interesting because like my, my experience in playing with you is like, because we have only played freely together so far. We haven't, haven't worked on uh, pieces that have chord changes or anything, right? I mean, our pieces have chord changes, but they're not not predetermined. So, um, and but I know that the um, you know most of the albums you put out with uh, Leonardo and Moonjun, for example, they have sort of like traditional structures, as in uh, melodies and chords, and then there is a mm -hmm. solo over the uh, over the chorus, and you know, and stuff like that. And um, so that's why I was wondering how you do that. Um, and it's fascinating because like just just recently, uh, I can't remember what the name of the guy was, but there's a, somebody who analyzed all of Alan Holdsworth's uh, lines and stuff and, and put like a five-hour video up on YouTube with this analysis. Uh, and it was, was pretty eye-opening and kind of uh, confirmed a little bit what, you know, uh, the things that I like and don't like about Alan's playing. Uh, funnily enough, so it kind of brought out both uh, sides for me. Um, yeah. So in, in your, your playing, when you're saying like, okay, there's a scale that kind of like fits on a chord or a certain specific harmony or something, uh, that is also, uh, quite open for interpretation, right? So, because, uh, even though so there are some, say some rules where you can apply like, uh, chord tones or then, uh, scale tones, or then you can, you can play your chromatic uh, extensions or whatever. Is that something that you that you still think about at all? Or is, is it really all just let your fingers do the thinking these days? Yeah, it's all totally to me. It's all um, it's all ear driven to me. Uh, it's it's what I what I want to hear in the moment. Um, I mean, sometimes well, you know what it's like. I mean, it's sometimes sometimes you just let go of, of everything, and, and you just 
open out to just anything can happen and you don't know what's going to happen in the next moment at all and that I, I i love that and that 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 can lead to some of the most interesting creative moments and you're kind of throwing yourself into the abyss and, and allowing potential disaster to happen but that moment is is also the moment where something really great could happen if you see what i mean and i, I kind of like i like doing that mm -hmm. Um, and in those moments, because I don't know what's going to happen, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to play what what I think what I want to hear. But most uh, any other time, I that's what I'm I'm trying to do, and I, I'm always. So for me, a lot of it is 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 trying to hear, like being being led by what I'm feeling about the music, and and I guess I see music as kind of a language and kind of a story. So it's almost like a story, the story's going on and like, what's going to happen next in the story? What's, what's around the next corner kind of emotionally? Cause it's to me, it's just the language of, of emotion. That's, that's what music is. And so, um, or mood, mood, emotion, whatever you want to call it. And so it's like, okay, we're here now. And like, what, what would come next? And so there's a way for me that that next is a sound and therefore I'm trying to, to play that sound or play something that will render that feeling, if you see what I mean, that mood, whatever it is. So that's some set of notes. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's what leads me a lot of the time. Uh, that, you, that is yeah. so interesting. So, and so interesting to me because for me, um, I always thought about myself that I'm kind of like, utilizing the music to uncover the emotions like my emotions somehow like being confused what my actual emotion may be or as you say what may be around the next corner i just have no idea and somehow for me the the music or the playing has been the the leading factor to kind of like discover what's around the corner rather than me having an idea about what's going to come so so when you tell me that for you it is or can be the other way around where basically you have some sort of uh, idea and then then your body somehow finds a way to express that, I find that very fascinating. Yeah, it's not like I know it very far in advance. I, I just know it the instant, like before, as it were, I'm like yeah. I'm playing this line and then I kind of feel what the next line should be but not always like sometimes you say like you say and i love that whole other side of playing where you have, you just don't know what's going to happen next and you do and the music reveals like you say what you're feeling about it that's a fantastic and amazing thing and i love that as well and that, that that's what i like about music which doesn't have a structure to it because to me that once you have a structure with chord changes and and all of that and, and an expectation of a solo here then it becomes more of a it lends itself more to the other way of doing it that I've been talking about. Whereas when you've got something that's free and you don't know, or the way you and I like to do it, which is a bit more like it's free, but your your intention is to make it sound like it isn't free in a sense, like it's been composed. Um, then it's completely more like what you're talking about for me anyway, that you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And so it's a matter of discovery. Yeah. that that That's, uh, that, yeah, I love that as well. So your your sound and your 
you know, your way of playing, your sound, the note choice and everything is so incredibly unique. And um, I, I really think you have one of the most recognizable voices. And I'm not just talking about the sound of your guitar, of the sound of your playing, but even just on a digital level, just the pitches that you're using, that is so incredibly unique. And um, uh, I'm, I'm wondering how that has, because... Because there, as you said, like you kind of like grew up in um, in the American culture, and and somehow the, this this vision for what you would like to hear or what you would like to sound like, um, kind of like must have developed. Um, I mean, I, obviously it has developed, but like, <laughs> can you do you remember when when you kind of like were became aware of that? That sonic vision? I totally can. Um, I can remember the exact moment, uh, actually. <laughs> I was playing with a, with a rock band, and we were touring Germany. and Germany at the time, yeah, it was Germany. And, and then we ended up at the end of the tour in a studio in, in Switzerland to record an album. And so it was an interesting studio built into what was an old prison um, on the edge of it from what I remember, the edge of a kind of a cliff. It was quite a strange um, place, but a great place to record. Anyway, we were in the studio recording and we were, you know, recorded the album and we came to this one track and I had to do a solo and um, it had this, this chord change that just, it was just two chords, but they were shifting key in some way where there was really no connection at all between the two chords that I could find. So you had to, change scale for each chord changing fairly quick fairly quickly and i i just didn't like what i was doing i just thought that this is this isn't happening for me and um i didn't like this change 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 thing like this like back and forth and um for that song anyway and there was a lot of pressure because we were running out of time and 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 so i i there's something about the pressure and the situation i just suddenly heard this sound and so I, I found this just kind of one note at a time, worked out this scale that worked for both the chords. Um, and it was kind of a, a strange scale. Um, I, if, looking back, at it, I think it's just a mode of the harmonic minor or something. But um, at the time for me, it was kind of, oh, that's an unusual scale. And it seemed to fit both the chords. And so I played that and, um, and I moved up to the studio monitors to get feedback happening in the studio monitors. And that, that common combination I just found something and it's just like it. Wow. I thought, wow, that that's it. Uh, and I remember the, the engineer saying that was a $10,000 solo. Can I sample that? And, and I, I knew it. I knew that was it. I'd found for the first time that thing, whatever it was for me. Um, and then I, you know, I didn't find it again for quite a while, but I knew it because I'd experienced it once. I knew it was kind of there. But to be honest, um, how, how old were you when that happened? I don't know, 25, 23, 25. I'm not sure. Mid twenties. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I think it encouraged me because before that I'd been playing, emulating loads of other guitar players, the usual suspects, you know, and I was always very disappointed, stroke depressed about I'd, I'd work really hard and then I'd be able to sound a little bit like Alan Holdsworth or Pat Metheny or whoever it might be. And then I'd feel depressed afterwards because just like, 
well, great. I sound a bit like them. You know, that's pointless for me. I knew I wanted something that I felt inside, you know, how can I make that happen in the music? Um, anyway, I I'd experienced it that one time and thought, okay, great. It's possible. It's there, but I couldn't get it back. Um, and so then it was quite a lot of years of insanely hard work to, to, mm -hmm. to make that something that I could do anytime. And I, I have to say it was a level of <laughs> insane commitment is all I can say that it took for me to, to, to do that. Um, I think if I hadn't done that, I just would have experienced that one time and that would have, that would, you know, maybe I'd have very occasionally hit it again, but to kind of find that and make it so that it wasn't just that one thing, but that I could make it like happen all the time that, that took an enormous amount of work and, and, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, now I said at the beginning that I was too stubborn to go to Berkeley and it was that same, like crazy stubbornness of just like, I am going to get this. It doesn't matter what it takes. <laughs> wow. And how, how do I have to, uh, imagine those, those days of intense study? I mean, were you just like with your instrument 24 seven or did you, did you have a, a schedule that like a practice schedule? How, how organized was your approach? I'm pretty disorganized. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm, I'm ADHD <laughs> or what I am, but I, I can't stick with one thing for too long. I have to change and move around and move around. I mean, that's not true. I can sit there and actually run scales for hours, but in terms of actually, to me, that's not the real work. That's the easy stuff. The hard stuff is, is mm -hmm. delving into stuff that you don't know and trying to find stuff you don't know that that's really hard. And that's the bit I always, my brain doesn't want to do. And, uh, I can't stick with that. I kind of do a bit here and do a bit there. And yeah, I guess it was kind of chaotic, but driven very hard. Like there was always something driving me to do it. So I would do a bit of something. And then I'd stop and I'd do something else. And sometimes I'd be at it for three, four or five hours, but then I wouldn't do it again for three days or something. Um, and I just tried everything. I mean, one of the things that really worked for me, I remember early on that really helped was just plugging in the guitar and just going completely berserk on the guitar, like really berserk and, and just making just noise and just moving my fingers around in the most insane way to the point where I had to, I'd end up hurting my fingers and cutting myself and everything. But if you do that for long enough, you'll find something interesting. And as soon as I hit something really interesting, like, oh, wow, what was that? I'd stop and I'd figure out, like, what was that? And sometimes I wouldn't be able to figure it out. But when I did, I'd then spend ages, like, figure, like transcribing it in some way so that I'd think, okay, there's a thing that's interesting. Maybe I can take that and explore in that area. And, yeah, I did a lot of stuff like that and a lot of stuff similarly with scales and, and, and tonalities of just trying to push out there into weird places to see that's, I mean, that's where it is for me now and has been, you know, in, in recent years is where can I find things which are outside the normal tonality, but don't sound outside to me. Because in a way to me, if, if it doesn't sound outside to me, it won't sound outside to any, to, to other people, it'll sound 
right and, and inside, even if it's way outside. And it's all a matter of, can I hear it mm -hmm. that way? And so that's the thing that I find the most fascinating now is how can I find things further and further kind of outside of the normal, what sounds right, but in a way that it does sound right to me, if, you see, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense to me, obviously. It's kind of like <laughs> the same approach. I think it very much has to do about if you if you can perform something without um, an emotional response. Like I would go go so far to say, like like really without any emotion emotional response, then it it is totally it totally works all the time right but if you if you hate something you do um or if you like something too much right then it always carries something with it that is super you know superimposed onto the music somehow like i, I find it i really find fascinating that there is this like uh, music really captures the intention of the player somehow and um, and yeah, so I, I totally know, uh, know what you're saying. This is, uh, it's, it's been kind of like a revelation to me, um, also as a human being, how much the way that we emotionalize things, um, actually creates problems, you know, or can create problems. Mm. I think I know what you're saying. I mean for me there's like a separation that can happen where if I'm um, playing something in, a, in in the right frame of mind for it to work for me then I'm not I am feeling the emotion definitely but not in the usual way it's like not in a self-conscious way of like I'm feeling this thing and I'm making this happen um, because I, I want this to be like this. It, it's, it's not like that. It, it, and if I do try to impose that on the music, then it doesn't work well for me. I don't know if, if that's the same thing you're saying, but it sounds like kind of like it is. Whereas if I'm in the right frame of mind and it's really working yet, it's kind of like the emotional of the music is coming through me, not like I'm imposing my own emotion on it, if you see what I mean. If I try to impose my yeah. own emotion on it, it doesn't work well if I just let the music kind of come through me. So yeah, it is emotion and I am feeling it, but it's just, I'm kind of stepping out of the way and letting it just do its thing. And later I listen back and I'll get a strong feeling from the other's perspective. You see what I mean? But while I'm doing it, it's more like I'm more of a conduit. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that similar to what you were saying? Or is... Oh yeah. To to totally. And, you know, like the uh, something else about what you just explained, um, which has sort of like become more and more clear to me, um, and your sort of sort of what you said is sort of a proof of concept, is that I think the uh, artistic, let's say, style or the way that you play, the sounds that you make pretty much depends on how you're approaching the learning experience of becoming a musician. And so like it's, it's so like, it's, it's always 
much more about how you learn than how you play somehow. It's really, uh, I don't really know how to put it into words, but so uh, if you are lucky like you and you discover you have, you know, you're very opinionated about the way that you think you can learn and will learn, um, it's sort of like you've already set the, the direction for what kind of, or that you will become an artistic player, let's say, rather than somebody who interprets other people's music, right? Because you are already on the, you're already on the, uh, you know, on the level of how you practice, you've found your own approach. And that, that's really where, where people, um, become unique sounding players is like, what do they practice? How do they practice? If you say it's chaotic, then that's, that's exactly what was great about it. Right. So that's exactly what made you who you are. And you know, you're, if you know what I mean, like, mm. yeah, I do know what you mean. And mm, I see it. it's interesting parallels between our, our playing styles in that way. Like, um, I mean, I think anybody who gets to a certain level on an instrument has to have a huge, what's the word for it? A huge thing of discipline. And, but if they do anything interesting, they've also got to have a huge thing of like chaos or madness or something else, if you see what I mean, whatever you want to call it, but you can't, you need at least for the kind of music that we do you need to have both those things and you need to have i mean your playing to me has very strong elements of both those things um which is one of the things i like about it it's i never know what you're going to do next and mm -hmm. when you're playing whether it's you know you're playing like the non-solo parts or the solo parts it's still i have no idea what you're going to do next and it's always something that's like this is really different and this is very this is very strong this has something really really interesting about it it's inspiring like right from the get-go and so to me that's coming from somewhere like in this you know what's the word for it artistic you know chaotic crazy whatever it is different place but you've also got a huge um i don't know what the word for it is you know like a history of discipline tremendous discipline and and the same with me i mean the amount of time that i've spent practicing scales and technique i mean it's vast because it just has to be if you're going to get technique if you see what i mean to be able to play interesting weird music like we do <laughs> so you kind of got to have these two things running in parallel in a way and i'm interested to know with you how you how you separate those out or whether you separate them out, how you, how you have all that disciplined work, but also have this amazing ability to just completely let go of it all. And is that built into the way you practice or you do, or is it a separate thing? Uh, it's kind of built into it. I would say, uh, you know, I got, I got kind of lucky that I picked up an instrument where there was no, no technique, no, no textbook, let's say about the technique available. And nobody really knew how to how to do it. So, for me, um, uh, decoding the technique was a big big part of my of what I was practicing. Yeah. So um, 
so for me, I always used to say, like practicing, practicing has nothing to do with making music. So it's purely, it's purely about the physical aspect of trying to play a beautiful note or um, of being able to execute movements, let's say. Like we, you, they don't even have to be on the instrument. It could be some sort of gymnastics even, you know? Like that's how, I, that's how I'm still uh, seeing the, um, the discipline part, let's say. And then the, as you say, the chaotic, uh, artistic craziness um, of just letting go and just going with the flow and just moving my fingers anywhere where they want to go, I've always kept that um, as sort of like the foundation of what I consider to be music, right? So uh, like my, my very definition of music is that freedom or is that, that I think music offers this, this space where you can do anything and anything can work, right? And, and that's, that's sort of like how I've always kept these two things separate, practicing and making music. But then, like later on, I've also come to the conclusion that you can practice an exercise or like a dexterity exercise uh, in a wet musical way. You can, you can just reframe it as music by listening to it as if it was music by experiencing it as a musical act. And you can also, like for what's happening for me, like when I go on stage like 25 times in like uh, four weeks uh, and playing like the same set every night, then the music can become an exercise. The music is just can just be uh, the repetition, like going to the gym and lifting some weights. And... Uh, and I love that, that like, even though like I have a very clear distinction between practicing and making music, it also can very much, it can actually be the same depending on from which angle you're looking at the totality of what is music is to me and what is, what playing an instrument is for me. Mm. That's interesting. So when you, when you're practicing things, um, you know, not, not when you're playing, you know, uh, a, a song in a, in, in a live situation or, or in a studio or whatever, but when you're, um, actually practicing in the usual sense, do you, um, do you have it structured out in a kind of, I mean, obviously you practice in a disciplined way, but do you, do you also discipline like what you practice and the order in which you practice things and all of that and how long you practice things for, or is that, you know, is that, um, freer? Uh, no, it's, you know, like my, my particular uh, style there is to, that I, I kind of like, um, uh, I'd ra I'd rather, I'd rather pick just a few little things to practice say like playing three notes, C, D, E, right? And then I find all the ways that you can play C, D, E, um, which there it's three elements. So it's six, six orders of notes that exist. And then I would kind of like uh, map that out, like say transposing that across uh, a fifth interval or what I say across the handfuls, like, you know, like stuff like that, like my four fingers of the hand for example. And then I would kind of like turn that into an exercise 
and then say, since I have then six, six groups to practice, let's say, I would then practice each group for five minutes. So after 30 minutes, I would have completed one cycle, right? And then what I, what I do is like the next day or the next time I practice the same thing, I would not play it starting. So I wouldn't play, start with the first pattern. I would start with the second pattern. Or I would start with the last pattern, the pattern that I tackled last yesterday. And so, so that I, I'm always rotating through all the permutations in, uh, in pretty even, even ways. Hey, there's an alarm clock in the background. Can you hear it? No, I can't hear it. There's, a, there's an alarm clock going in your room. <laughs> okay, stop. It's it just stopped. It's mm. good. Not in this room. I don't have any clocks stopped. in here, but whatever. Yeah, must be the other room. In fact, it's quite likely that there is yeah. one in the other room. <laughs> so, so you know, I'm always trying. You know, that that's why, like the the discipline part, let's say, of practice for me is very important. Like my my mind wouldn't feel satisfied if I only practiced five of six patterns that are in a group let's say like i always try to make sure i'm covering the whole thing and i all also feel like in a way practicing uh movements is very much about closing these cycles making sure that you can do all the permutations of movements because otherwise there's always like a gap in your in your movement ability of movement let's say where you can you could say, okay, maybe that can be a good thing because it gives you a certain thing that you don't do, which then could kind of like create a certain sound or something. Obviously, that also exists, but on the level of the pure movement, I'd like to, I like to have things um, round. Let's say, you know, like the cycles and the circles need to close themselves in order for, like that, say that little snowball to turn into an avalanche sort of like that's that's sort of like the, the, the image the imagery that kind of like makes sense to me like mm -hmm. if you have a wheel the wheel needs to be perfectly round like if you you know if one side is flat uh it's not gonna go anywhere by itself right and that's sort of like what i would like my technique to be something that is just like a wheel or like even like a sphere a ball that is that can roll into any direction and uh, even bounce of walls and uh, stuff like that, you know? So that's, mm. that's sort of like what I'm aiming for with mm. the discipline part. And then as you can see, if you, if you develop a technique like that, it pretty much becomes a tool that is chaotic, that can be chaotic. You know, you can, you can, you can throw that little, uh, 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 you know, that little ball around the room and it will bounce off like many surfaces and it will end up in a corner that you didn't even know existed. It will end up under the sofa or something. Right. And you wouldn't ever, ever have gone under the sofa, um, by yourself, but, uh, but the little ball will. And that's, that's <laughs> sort of how, how these two things go together, right? Like, uh, discipline and, and freedom. That's the most interesting way of describing that I've heard. That, that's a really good way of describing that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I can relate to that, uh, in, in my own way. Um, I don't think I do things as it sounds like you're doing things in a very kind of, like I say, round way, covering all the bases. And I, I guess I do that to an extent. Um, but I definitely, um, 
strongly relate to this idea that if you build if you build it strongly enough it can it can be chaotic because it, it has some strength if you don't it just it'll just turn into dust at the first time you try to do something crazy if you see it it'll just break but if you have enough strength in in all the stuff it can it can bounce around the room as you were saying and remain able to continue bouncing <laughs> because it hasn't fallen apart if you see what i mean i can very much kind of relate yeah. to that that idea and and i think i approach it in quite a similar way um in some ways anyway but yeah that's that's really interesting way of describing that that um or at least the way i see it as that that connection between discipline and and chaos and how the two are kind of interlinked at least from my point of view like real the real interesting chaos if you want to call it that or unexpected is built on a underpinning of a discipline if you see what i mean it needs to be otherwise it can't really happen because there isn't enough structure for it to happen from if you see what i mean if that makes it i don't know if that makes sense but it to me it makes sense. yeah no it, it, it makes sense but however and this is this is also important like you're always good enough i think to improvise like th this is sort of like the other side of the coin where I believe uh, a lot of people can learn something is like you don't, you know, you don't have to ever have played a guitar before. You can pick it up and improvise. You can, like maybe yet you're not, it doesn't feel comfortable or maybe you, you don't know what you're doing or whatever, but you can still make a noise. You can still express something, you know, with mm -hmm. any musical instrument. Uh, just by just by banging the keys or by plucking the strings or by trying to fret the strings or by blowing into a horn or whatever you don't need technique to do that right and this is this is sort of like the interesting thing it's like it is really the other side of the coin and and this is sort of like and this is why it's like the integration of these two sides is so is so important that uh, like pure expression let's say you don't you don't have to have language even let's say to express yourself you can just grunt right and then we say okay like the grunt is some sort of language yeah like nobody knows what exactly you mean but you can make a sound and and that's that's i'm still operating on that that level uh, musically as well right so there's like this what i uh, used to call or sometimes still call like a completely gestural approach of making music where it's not where it's not coming from a point of view of of uh, musical description let's say i'm not think you know and you don't have to think about rhythm or chords or pitches or melody or whatever and you can you can still improvise you can still make a sound and you um and you know, just keeping all these these elements alive with within one's playing—that is sort of like the secret, I think. Yeah. yeah, absolutely agree. I think that whole side of it is so important, isn't it? It definitely is to me. Also, that that gestural thing, the 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 thing that is—I don't know—pure isn't the right word for it, but you know, that kind of expression that is pre-musical note ideas. Um, yeah, that's so important, isn't it? It's, it's a big part of, of that, of it for me. 
Um, yeah, it's, in, in a way, it's a little bit. It's it's a little bit like uh, you know, like the the cycle I'm seeing in 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 people's lives. Let's say where you're becoming, say you're becoming more and more conscious and more about more and more self conscious as you grow up, right? Uh, as a child, like you you, you maybe come from a place of of not having that self-consciousness right and then it kind of like starts happening and it sort of has some sort of uh um high noon sort of like situation where you're you know you're super self-conscious and then somehow the 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 the, the sun starts going down on the other side right and and it be it kind of like turns then the night comes back right and you like don't know anymore what you're doing and sort of like you're kind of like returning but as you're returning to the night you're integrating the experience of the day into the night and and you can basically come around like many times and sort of like you the more and more you're integrating uh you know like the the aspect of of awareness and not being aware of being conscious being unconscious or subconscious or whatever you want to call it and uh, that's sort of like what I'm what I'm experiencing. It's also like the aspect of letting go, like knowing how to let go, but at the same time also knowing how to embrace. Right? It's it's kind of like again, it's the same thing, just the different side of the coin. Mm. Right? Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I I see all of that the same way. It, it does definitely seem to be, and there's, I guess there's different ways of looking at it. Uh, I think the way you were talking about it might be slightly different from what I'm going to say now, but it's related mm -hmm. is um, there is this interplay between being aware, kind of self-aware and then letting go of that and not being self-aware. And that seems to be kind of a key to, to it, to me, because you have to have moments of self-awareness to just be able to perform with other people and do what you need to do as a musician. But you also need to be able to let go of that a lot of the time, because if you don't, you won't be able to really do anything interesting, at least from my perspective. So it's, it's this interplay between losing your self-consciousness and you sort of, when I say self-awareness, I mean, you know, that can mean lots of different things, but what I mean by it is this kind of awareness of like, you know, it's me, I'm here and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about me and uh, my personality, self-awareness and letting go of that and just being like, I'm just part of the music. I'm not really mm -hmm. separate from that. And it's, it seems to be a kind of interplay between those two things and trying for me, it's staying out of this, the self-consciousness thing as much as possible. We're just coming into it for a split second in order to be aware of what's going on in a certain kind of way that you might need to, oh, I need to switch this thing on, or I need to change to another scale or something like this. But then uh, as soon as, you know, a fleeting moment of that, then letting go into this kind of, uh, yeah, not unconscious, but a different state of, of flow or not being kind of self, self-conscious at all. But yeah, yeah. That, yeah, something else is coming to my mind. You know, I, yeah, 
No, I'm just just as you're saying this, I'm I'm being reminded about something that my uh, one of my psychology professors uh, explained to me at some point, where we were saying like, you know, there's this old concept of neurosis and psychosis, which is something that has been kind of left behind as a concept, but uh, and the sort of like the I, like the difference between neurosis and psychosis is that uh, if you're you know psychotic, you're not aware of what's happening with you right like where you're you where you you know but you know on the side of the neurosis you would be very much aware of the fact that you don't have to be afraid of a spider but you are afraid of a spider but you know that you don't need to be right and and so um one of the and this i find just fascinating because it it, it's uh, kind of like uh, amusing me is that the original like definition of like the the so-called borderline syndrome which has been like a, a popular <laughs> thing for a while um is that those people who have the borderline syndrome they kind of like switch between being aware and unaware of their of their problems right which then kind of like puts you at risk of being suicidal and stuff because you kind of like you're doing something and you think it's it's exactly right and then you realize no and and so it's like this this back and forth and and I just find that amusing because like thinking about like what we were saying about you know being like a a good improviser you know for example or a good musician to be able to kind of like walk mm. the thin line mm. between mm. uh you know, and, yeah. and so it has sort of like an element of of craziness, as you were mm. calling it, you know, a few minutes ago. Certainly, <laughs> it has that, right? Yeah, and I think also on another level, I think if you do anything with the kind of thing that you and I do, there's definitely something. I mean, there's definitely something screwy in my head. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it what I'd be diagnosed with. I don't know, but. Um, you know, I get some strange stuff going on in my head, which is got a lot to do with the music that I make. And I think there's something of that as well going on with anybody that's doing something really kind of different and, you know, what I would find interesting. Um, yeah, there's an inner, there's an inner world there. That's, that's maybe, um, different, whether that's, that's crazy or, so what, or, or what keeps, mild. what keeps you going, Mark? What, what keeps you going? What keeps me going? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's to be honest, it's that thing we were just talking about. Um, the the stuff in my head, which uh, is a little crazy, for lack of a better word, um, which kind of powers the music in a sense, like the ideas come from that. Um, is what keeps me going because when I, what I have, the things that go in my head, some of the things that go in my head are, are like, I'll get um, just some very strong feeling just kind of emerges and it's linked with a kind of imaginary scene maybe uh, that might involve people. It might involve um, a place uh, and a time in the past or present or whatever on that, that kind of emerges as a fully formed thing and it's very strong. Um, mm -hmm. 
I don't believe it to be a real thing. I think it's in my mind, but it's pretty strong. And so I need to do something with that. Um, these days, I mean, I've calmed all of that down a lot. When I was younger, that was very strong and, and threatened to derail me numerous times because it was too much to take. And so I used music as a way of, like, if I can render these things in music, that helps me cope with that, if you see what I mean. It, it, it makes it real in some form, and therefore I don't have to kind of, well, I can't explain, but it helped in a way. Um, so that's what keeps me going now. I mean, like I say, I've kind of calmed that down so that it's not out of control in my mind, but it, nonetheless, I still get those, and I like them, most of the time. <laughs> and so I have to do something with that or it, it gives me like, okay, that's something I need to make that into music. Um, so yeah, that, that's what keeps me going. And I guess in some ways that's maybe always what's kind of kept me going in one way or another. What keeps you going? Um, yeah, I, I guess I could give you the same answer that you've just given. But like from my perspective, maybe it's still the, the fact that I love that I love music. And what is interesting to me is that I love music independent of of say technical considerations. Like for me it's very much about what does inspire me or does it what and as you were saying at the beginning, like, you know, there's like a certain emotion that you kind of like discover or you already have an idea about it or something. For me, it's very much about kind of like creating these these pieces that sort of give me something to see myself inside to where, where my um, um, emotional processes where my my humanity let's say can can mirror itself and can can be reflected upon and and literally it's my way of reflecting on something so rather than than thinking about it like i don't have the language sometimes i don't have the language to say to to uh be my own therapist with words but i can create the medication i can create the medicine with with sound and so i'm i'm creating these these sound worlds that that heal myself that's sort of like i really think that's what it what it is for it's uh you know just like as i i was in in osaka just a few days ago i got so inspired and i looked out the window and saw that that mood and those buildings and just started composing this piece of music that I have uh, now uh, called it's it's going to be called song song of uh, survival or song for survival and uh, it's uh, it's sort of like these moments where I'm discovering a new um, kind of let's just let's even call it vaccine right it's <laughs> some sort of thing that that I kind of like create for myself that I then uh, apply to my, to my being, to my, to my, uh, you know, by listening to it. And, and it kind of like draws me in, it kind of hypnotizes me. It puts me in a trance. It, it helps these processes that are um, 
kind of like maybe based on like uh, grieving, you know, maybe it's grief that I'm working through, or I don't know. It's also, like I said, I don't have the words for it, but the music is, is doing that. And that's what keeps me going somehow. And, you know, these intervals, even though I'm basically making music 24 seven, but these moments where I'm discovering and where I'm getting like totally inspired by, by something, they've become a little rarer because there is, um, I've already created so much of that uh, medicine that, uh, you know, sometimes it takes, takes a while to discover the new, the new cure, let's say. <laughs> I do know exactly what you mean. I mean, I experience it in a very similar way to that too. It, the, 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 the joy of, of, of music is, is just, yeah, it's, it's beyond words, but also, yeah, like you say, you really can, it's got a very cathartic kind of element to it or can do mm-hmm. so that you can experience, yeah, things that, or deal with things that you don't have, or I don't have the, the, you know, tools to deal with any other way, like mental, emotional or whatever, but the music in a way can allow you to, to find a way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hey, do you, do you have experienced, um, skepticism from other musicians throughout your life towards what, what you're doing or what, what your vision was? Um, yeah, um, I wouldn't say skepticism. I think um, uh, people don't necessarily haven't always understood. Like when I talk on this level with people, sometimes they mm-hmm. glaze over and just don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and it's just like, okay, fine, you know. Um, but I, you know, I tend to work these days with people who would understand that um, on one way or another, if you see what I mean. Um, so not not so much, but yeah, I've certainly um, plenty of times in the past when I where where I knew there was I was playing music with people, which was good, but for me it was just th- this thing here, and I knew there was this huge thing, you know, and and I wanted to take it over there, and people were didn't understand or, you know, that's that that happened a lot. <laughs> Marcus, I've got a question for you. Um, you use a lot of sounds which are both as a guitar sound and also, you know, as sounds that you create through software and so forth, which are unusual, different, and also very much kind of very much you. And so I'm wondering, like, how do you, when you're creating a new sound or yeah, developing a new sound, like, how do you know? when you found the one that's going to work for you? What is it about the sound or the process of coming up with it? Oh, that's, that's a very good question. I think it's, um, it's like a multi-sensory thing. So first of all, it has to, like with a, with a guitar, as you know, like there is a certain way that the string vibrates and then with an electric instrument, it's being picked up by the pickup and then being processed. And so that, that connection, like how does the string, the oscillation of say my finger, the string, 
pick up going through the cables into the process, how does that that initial feeling of the instrument kind of like how does that come out and how does that feed back into my ears as something that then actually creates sort of like literally a feedback loop where then my fingers react to the sound and and kind of like in a way this idea of endless sustain in a way but not necessarily endless sustain on the level of the actual sound that you're hearing but on the physical level so does this what does what i hear what comes out of it make me want to keep playing the instrument i think that is that is very very important for me right and and that's also why i'm very fond of very highly compressed and very highly distorted sounds because they somehow uh, you know using these kinds of effects or processes it works like a magnifying glass and and so magnifying the the initial movement the initial intention let's say of the note that i'm playing kind of like helps me to stay inspired it can kind of like it's almost like shouting back at me, Marcus, like kind of like oh, hear, hear what you're doing and then please respond to it. And, and uh, that's sort of like, um, yeah, maybe this is not, not a very uh, practical way to des- of describing it, but, but that's, that's how it is for me. And, mm-hmm. and, and that is the, sort of like the core, um, the core sensation that is important for me. And then the, these, these notes that I'm playing, they sort of have to have some sort of purity to it so that these, so that the sounds can work also in a, in an, orche- in an orchestral setting. That's also important to me. So I, I'm not I, very hardly looking for that one sound that fills the whole room even though I think that my sounds do that, right? But, but if I'm layering my sounds, there's always, they always know how to slot in, how to kind of like uh, fit in with a larger, with a larger picture. Mm-hmm. And that, that, is, that is incredibly important to me. You know, that, that's, that's also why there is a certain certain uh, minimalist approach sometimes to so like I'm not using modulation effects for example I just don't use them because it makes the makes the the sounds too big so they wouldn't really fit in any context does that make sense like it makes total you know? sense yeah absolutely so there's, yeah yeah Mm. Yeah, and I find it very interesting how you you you're looking for a a kind of feedback situation where that note is is making you want to play more and and saying something to you about what you've just done so that you yes. then respond and that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because because like I am and this may may sound super strange, but I'm actually not interested in the things that I do. I'm more interested in the things that I don't do. In the in the in the um, 
the chance, you know, like this, these, these little niches of, you know, there's something happening that I wouldn't and couldn't have done intentionally. Right. And this, this is sort of like what I'm, what I'm kind of looking for. This is what, what is inspiring me. That's why mm -hmm. this idea of, of having a magnifying glass, right. Is, is so important so that I can more easily spot these, 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 um, sonic moments that, uh, that inspire me because they sound like, and they feel like they are not coming from myself. Mm. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. What is it about that you, th that you find inspiring that this is something that is not coming from you or is coming from a chance situation? What do you think is it about that? That, yeah, that, that inspires you. I, I guess I think it's a certain um, kind of boredom I'm feeling about myself <laughs> somehow. Like I'm very, like for myself, I'm very predictable. And I think that's, that's the case for a lot of people that. Uh, well, that's what I like about you know, playing if, with, if, with other people is that you, you get that input and it changes what you do and you, you know, it is, it is unpredictable. And yeah, definitely. Exactly. And, mm. and, you know, I, and I was looking for ways to kind of like, like generate that kind of create that kind of situation, even when I'm playing by myself. Mm. And that's sort of like the driving aspect for the sounds that I'm creating, the sounds that I'm trying to find for the looping that I've like initially picked up from from like the Robert Fripp's, uh, like the Frippertronics and then the mm. soundscaping that he did. And I kind of like took that as ideas and, and then took it further um, because it's sort of like, obviously, like if you're starting to record yourself on playing things back at you and I did, before I had any digital delay, I was doing that with a tape machine, right? I was just recording myself on tape and listening back to it. And I think it's, it's really um, like the, the, well, if, we can say something that the most important important skill is listening, right? So, and and actually learning to listen to oneself is so crucial. You know, if you're thinking about this, like the very first time you heard your own voice recorded, right? And and you know, like there's a little bit of a cringe factor there from most of us when we first hear uh, hear the recorded sound of our voices, and. Uh, and so it's a little bit like that, like by, by actually listening to oneself repeatedly, you're learning to accept and you're learning to love, um, what you sound, what you sound like. Mm. And, and luckily, uh, you know, I was in a situation relatively early on in my life, um, where that was a reality where I was actually, where I was able to listen back to what I, what, what I was producing. Yeah. Mm. And, and and I think that's what's what's like kind of missing for a lot of um, people, a lot of musicians that they're not recording themselves. You know, that if like if there's one uh, highly effective uh, therapeutic activity, it is like you know to record record yourself, record yourself talking, or even. Uh, like there's this uh, this little exercise I, I use with my 
my coaching clients or my, my students or my friends sometimes would say, okay, just imagine that your, your words are leaving your mouth and they're in the room and they kind of like, you know, travel around your head and they're getting back into your ear and you can actually listen, actively listen to what you're saying as the words travel, as the sounds travel through the air. So they become externalized and then you can, you can listen to them and kind of like becoming aware of this really changes like the self-acceptance let's say that we have drastically and it also as we said it amplifies also what we're saying it amplifies the patterns we're starting realizing uh, all the ums ums blah blah i'm saying here when i'm listening back to the podcast like oh i know you know like i've i pro must have said the word so like five million times in 75 podcasts so, uh, you know, like all of these things, they become very apparent once you're exposing yourself to, to recordings. And recording, as I say, does not have to be an actual recording. You can listen to yourself as you speak. And, and that has become re a really powerful tool. And I know um, for a fact, like some people that I'm working with, that I've worked with, who have um, really um, developed as human beings by actually starting to listen to themselves. Yeah, I think that's. I totally agree, and I think I think when you're when you're playing with other people or in whatever context, if you're listening, like you described it really well, I think as you know, as if you're listening to your words and letting them come back into your ears. If you're listening to the music and what you're playing, as if you were listening to the music as a listener, and like hearing it like that, like what you're playing as part of the overall music. I think that's I mean, that's certainly the for me that's a key a key aspect to how I how I approach it. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, it's 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 also um, like making music with you and other great musicians. There's there's this kind of, this magic somehow that the pure act of actually listening. Um, is the is sort of like the justification say for any musical utterance like it doesn't it's not it's not important which note you play if you've listened to what's going mm. on yeah I, I think that's where where some, a lot of a lot of people get it get you know get it wrong or where it's backwards for people where it's very much about like trying to kind of like figure out what is right and in the moment where you're trying to figure out what's right, you're not listening. Mm. And then obviously it can never sound right. And, and it's, it's sort of like a very, uh, very magical thing where you realize that it's like what, you know, like, yeah. So it's, yeah. Like this is, this is a situation where words are actually not like able to explain it like it's something that as a musician you experience it all the time mm. right but like how could you put that into words mm. yeah that's what's so great about music <laughs> you don't need the words yeah exactly hey mark yeah. so but let me let me just come back to something completely different sort of completely different like this this uh amazing um um path that has led you to to this to this point of 
where we can talk about these things and we can agree about them, which it's nice that we agree, but we wouldn't have to, right? Like, but anyway, I'm still curious, like, like how that, um, how this has come about, say, from, from your, from your, um, I don't want to say childhood because that's not enough. I'm like, well, the, the culture, the cultural settings that you were in, like, like this, this, uh, this interest in exploring artistic expression, let's say, um, I'm really curious about that because, because you, 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 uh, explained the situation or you, you mentioned being in the studio with that rock band with that solo discovering this, this approach, let's say that worked and that it was inspirational, but it seems to me like there was, there is something, there's something else like why, why, why the re why was the researcher in you, let's say triggered? Why, why was that something that um, was important to you? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, it certainly goes back a long way. Um, mm -hmm. I the first time I really think I felt the calling, if you could call it that, uh, was when I would have been about, I don't know how old I've been, like maybe 11 or 12 or something. Um, and we, I was living in the US and near a kind of woody area and we heard this sound coming through the woods we weren't living in the woods but there were kind of a lot of woods around and, and uh heard the sound and it was just amazing to me i i never heard anything like it before and it just absolutely i had to know what that was and what it turned out it was was just some guy standing in the back of his yard that backed onto the woods playing like blues guitar with an app in his back garden and but i'd never heard anything like that before and it just drew me the sound of that guitar and because it was a long way it was like a couple of miles away and you could just hear bits and pieces coming through but not really hear it in detail and i just had to know and so you know i i i said to my mum, oh because my mum was quite interested in music listen to that and she said oh, let's go and find that and so we walked from you know a couple of miles through down this path through the woods and found what it was and that to me that was just a revelatory that sound that that sound could be made from this instrument and um i remember looking for records and you know what could i how could i find that sound how could i find that sound again and then i a couple of years later i heard Jimi hendrix and i thought that's it that's the sound only much better <laughs> um <laughs> And um, so that, you know, I, be, I be absolutely became obsessed with Jimi Hendrix for, for quite a long time and still love Jimi Hendrix's playing. Um, huge influence on me in lots of ways. Um, so I think that was partly it. That, that, well, that was the first thing I experienced of that kind of thing that called me, that seemed so powerful to me for some reason. Uh, the feelings it gave me were just transcendently bigger than anything I'd kind of experienced. And that yeah that didn't go away and then i guess when i was a teenager a bit later i i discovered like 
other other things I discovered, you know, progressive rock and and classical music, bits of classical music and and you know, bits of of jazz and things and think things transported me, you know, listening to some of the progressive rock music. Like I got like, wow, this is really amazing. It just takes me somewhere else and you know, I'd keep it in my head and I'd walk through the woods and hear it and it just created amazing things that to me were a a world that was so real, realer and more important than the real world in a sense. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah, that's, 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 um, it doesn't surprise me that you're, you're listing, uh, musical experiences as, uh, inspiration for you, right? Like I'm sometimes wondering, um, if that's totally true for myself, if it's really musical experience, I guess it is musical experience, but what, what I want to say is motivations can be manifold, right? So like, for example, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody wants to become the best guitarist in the world, just to show everybody else that you are the best in the world. Right. So, so like the motivation can be removed from music itself and and i'm sometimes like wondering how how much of that is is part of my uh, motivational makeup let's say right uh, like you know like being bullied at school let's say like this is kind of like the first thing that comes up right like being afraid to go to school because there was somebody there waiting for me at the corner you know like and 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 I'm I'm thinking like how much has that have those experiences shaped my being and my musical being later on? Anyways, this is uh, sort of like a really for me a really interesting moment because as I was saying, like I'm when I'm creating music, sort of like as a uh, as medication, <laughs> right? Like so, what is that? What is really what is that medication for initially? What what was the initial Uh, emotional state that was bothering me or you know like and 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 that's that's why I was asking you this question you know because mm. um, it's interesting because I mean th- there is another element to it that you bring up and not, I wasn't bullied at school particularly but uh, I certainly had problems at school which I think were probably down to mm-hmm. my dyslexia um, but um, No, I mean, uh, there, but there is this other element. I mean, I remember hearing Joe McLaughlin, the early Mahavishnu albums, and thinking, I have to be that good. <laughs> but that's impossible. I'll never be that good. But I have to try and aim that for that. Like, why? You know, this is when I was, you know, a teenager, you know. Like, why, why would I feel that, that I had to do that, you know? I don't know, but there is that. There's that. There are other elements, aren't there, that drive you to to these lengths? And I don't know why <laughs> why we have these things um, built in psychologically. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Yeah, I, I, it's it is, it is super interesting, also because, like, for me, my my um, um, conscious path, let's say, of um, Becoming a musician started very late. I was 18, 19, or 20 years old. Um, 
And that was also the moment when I had just, when I uh, was graduating from high school and like the last couple of years in high school, I became very much aware of the fact that um, with my working class background, um, I was, uh, you know, always sort of like in the, I I call it the scum class uh, at school. Um, And because there were other groups of people that were like, doctors kids and lawyers kids and stuff like that and and they had a like they were 17 and they were already playing uh, you know like, like doing theater plays in french you know at a german school and stuff like that something that was like completely like not uh, attainable for me somehow this kind of like cultural um upbringing let's say and then for me somehow music i guess became my French play, sort of like to, uh, if that makes mm. any sense, like yeah. late, late, uh, how do you say, late, late bloomer, or you know, like really starting very late, and then sort of like proving it to myself, like uh, also, also sort, of, sort of, you know, I worked a lot so that I could, um, like, it almost felt like I had lost eighteen years of my life. Let's say not being aware that there is such thing as practice or culture or that you, that you could actually read books and stuff like that. And, uh, and somehow for me, that has always been a driving factor. I I'm mm. realizing now. Mm. That's interesting. Huh. Which I guess it's, it was different for you with your, with your parents or at, at least your father being into academia. Right. So that, that is uh, a different, different starting point there. Yeah, it's a different starting point. Um, I mean, obviously, he was very much like first generation academia. None of his background was very working class. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he'd obviously kind of built a, which is very much kind of an American thing to do, I guess. But um, yeah, it was it was different. I, I don't know how I how it affected me as a kind of adolescent late high school, apart from the fact that, yeah, it definitely, it felt like music was the kind of coolest thing it was possible to do from my perspective was to be a musician. And so that, that kind of drove me to do it. I I played music all throughout high school and I was no good at it, but I mean, it wasn't until I got to be like 18, went to university, then I started practicing more seriously and then, and then yeah, a little later than that, taking it like very seriously. But yeah, what drives you? I don't know. I mean, there was a time when I was nineteen and sort of twenty where I was I was spending you know twelve hours a day practicing. And like, what drives you to do that? I don't know. Some some inner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I still kind of have that. I mean, I'll, I'll still there's still this this drive to kind of keep pushing and pushing. I don't know where that comes from. It seemed insatiable in a way. I don't know if you have that, but like, mm-hmm. I, to my mind now, it feels more yeah. like a like a fascination rather than like I must do this, you know. Um, but to, to explore, you know, what what's possible, and keep pushing out into the boundaries. It's just a fascination thing more than just like I must do this. To prove myself as something, but I, I certainly felt that when I was younger. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that says I, about. Yeah, um, 
you know, for myself, that's the point where I'm where I'm getting suspicious about myself when I'm when I'm realizing that there is sort of like uh, you used the word uh, insatiable, right? Like, so is it is it really uh, how pure this, can the motivation be if it's you know if you can't ever reach your destination let's say or if you can't ever be satisfied with anything right and and that's that's sort of like what i'm what i really think what i'm working on these days is to kind of like to to reframe to rediscover um the way that i'm that i'm sort of like drawing good things out of what i'm doing so to allow myself to actually be satisfied to, um, you know, and, and that's, that's sort of like, and I'm not saying I have any answers there, but it certainly feels like that's what I'm, what I'm kind of working on these days. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I know. And to yeah. realize that the, the, you know, the music or the art that is, it is not, is not getting worse or is not getting bad because I, I'm uh, satisfied with it or because I, I feel less attached to it, let's say, or, you know, I'm just more capable of like, say, even mechanically creating it. Um, it's, it just, it just has a different, um, different importance. And like, as some people say, you know, you shouldn't be taking yourself too seriously and somehow there is there's there's real wisdom in that in that sentence you know yeah i guess it, that's an interesting thing because i think a lot of for me music is it's a mixture of something that's serious and something that's childlike and play it's play like playing in the childlike sense and if i don't have that aspect of it that it's not really working for me so there's a level of just play where it's just it's fun and 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 kind of childlike in one way in another way it, it is it is serious for me in a way because i feel like what i'm trying to deal with with the music is serious um feelings emotions whatever you want to call it 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 has a seriousness to it um for me so that's but again i don't feel like it's connected to myself i feel like it's there anyway and it's more i don't know i i guess i kind of i think that's what people a lot of people like about music is the fact that it does explore serious emotions and that can doesn't mean that they're heavy and bad it just emotions of any kind are mm -hmm. important and it's more like in some way they've i've evolved to feel that that's kind of a service i'm giving to people i'm trying to give more of that like experience um so it's not really i don't see it so much about being me it's certainly not like like my feelings about life, I'm going to make this, here's it, here it is, you listen to it. No, it's more like I feel like those are shared feelings, the ones I'm interested in, and anybody 
has. And all I'm doing really is just here's a here's a way that we've gone into that world with this music and this has happened and, and you'll get something different than I might anyway. It's a way of of making the magic of that music can do kind of happen. And and I guess I that's how I kind of approach it. It's a shared for me, it's a kind of a shared experience when I'm making some music. I kind of take it seriously in a way, but it's more like it's serious in a kind of I'm serious about sharing experience with people that's theirs as much as it is mine, because I know what they'll get from it won't be the same as what I'm putting into it. It might, it might not be. It doesn't really matter. They'll get, hopefully, they'll get something that does something for them. So it's, yeah, it's partly that. It's um, partly, um, what was I thinking? Uh, yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. I think there was another bit there, but I can't, I can't think what it was now. Nothing important. <laughs> yeah. It's very something very deeply human uh that we're kind of discussing here, I think. Hmm. And and I be, I believe it it exists in potentially exists in any anybody you know like it's just that there's different different mediums mm. um, that are yeah. important right to people and yeah 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 i think any kind of music that can be a kind of shared human experience and can Yeah, there's just there's different kinds of music, isn't there? I mean, there's there's all different kinds of music that can um, explore different levels and areas of kind of human experience, like the difference between a a pop song and a, you know Shostakovich. You know, there's there's a big difference there, and there's a million things in between, and a million things outside both those things. You know, um, that are all different. And, and different ranges of different, yeah. And all of that seems important to me in different ways. And so they're all different kinds of human experience. And I guess I was always attracted to music that, um, although I don't dislike pop music, I just great pop music that I like a lot. Um, but there's a lot of other kinds of music that deal with other areas of human experience that would be hard to do in pop music i mean it can be it can be done but it's there's other kinds of music like classical music for example which are more suited in my view to deal with other areas of human experience and then there's jazz which is different again and there's many other forms of music that are all they're all different and even within popular music there's to me the different genres aren't just different styles they they do different things. And of course it's very variable because everybody's going to hear them differently and everything else. But yet there is a difference to me between rock and, and, you know, um, and some other, some form of pop music. And, you know, they, they express different feelings as an overall genre. And, um, I find all that interesting and, and I 
guess what I try to do, or what I find interesting in doing anyway, is try to try to make music that explores some area that I find interesting and that I find wor worthwhile as, a, as an area to kind of look at in terms of human experience kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I, I yeah. think that... Yeah. And I, I guess that um, in terms of like the function, let's say, of music or musical genre or you could say of any any kind of any piece of art or any kind of creation or any any kind of communication even as you go to the supermarket to buy something and you're talking to uh you know people working in the store like there is there's some sort of exchange happening that that's uh it's very much uh um uh, generating the human experience as a total right so this this is sort of like what what i find so wonderful and so beautiful these days to see that like what i have kind of like focused on musically is very much available and very much around at all times in any kind of activity in all sorts of interpersonal interpersonal exchange and um And that sometimes, like the the medium, d does not transcend the function, really. So, so let's say, like there's like a certain style of music that makes people feel happy, let's say, but it could also be somebody smiling at you in the street, and that will make you happy, right? So, so there is like the function, like like oh, what does it elicit? Right, that is that is sort of also uh, something we need to. Maybe in my case, I I want to be more aware of what my art elicits somehow. Because like if I if I if I were more aware of that, I think I would probably also start creating something that may be different. I kind of like have that hunch that. Uh, You know, it's that part again. As we're saying, like, like, like these feedback loops are so important to me. But I feel like there is some sort of information. There's some loop that is not closed, where I'm kind of lacking. Not lack as in I'm unhappy about it. No, not like that. But it's just like I'm just curious, you know, to learn more about what there, what what it is that I'm putting out there into the world. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, isn't it? Just thinking about your own work and the progress of it and where you're going to go next. And yeah, I certainly have gone through phases where I've thought, I don't know what I want to do next. Um, and I just have to wait and not do anything for a while until something comes to me. And yeah, there is a thing I, I, I have, which like every time I create a new album of, of my own um it feels like it has to be something uh, um it feels like i have to push myself like beyond what i've done before not necessarily mm -hmm. like musically technically or anything like that but just in terms of um like artistically i i somehow feel compelled to do that which 
part of me i don't know why that is but part of me says well if you get if it's too easy it won't be as good so, um I, it has to be really difficult i have to if yeah something new and interesting is is always got to be a, quite an effort and it's got to it's got to take some kind of a, a cost uh in order for it to really it's like pulling something out or out of the ether wherever it comes from is not easy if it's something worthwhile i, I don't know what that feels true for me i mean it, it i'm sure it's not true for everybody but um for me it, it seems to be true and when i've done that i feel like you know that was that was kind of exhausting and i i, I think i don't think i can do that again <laughs> that was you know well i've really got something this time that i think is good but like okay i don't i think that's it you know, not that i'm going to stop doing music but you know next time i'm going to make it easier for myself is what i tell myself but each time it comes around like it that doesn't happen <laughs> I, have to, I have to do the same and i don't know why that is whether it's just that i've you know it's what we were talking about before where there's something something deep psychological thing driving me or whether actually that's just what i have to do to get something that i like i don't know but yeah but i do go through that yeah. thing every time of, of having this dialogue with, with myself of like i'm not doing this again that was too hard and next time i'm <laughs> going to make it easy and even going to great lengths to actually make it easy think okay this is really going to be easy this one i'm going to make everything easy to play and easy to do and but it just that just doesn't last long <laughs> before yeah I, it's, you know yeah. i i mean as uh, as you know, and I mean, you're a mastering engineer, so so you sometimes you're doing like projects where you have no control over the mix and like over the recording and like about over the content. But still, when you're mastering, you have a certain uh, standard, right, that you want to fulfill. Like there is a certain thing you need to do in order to be happy with it, and somehow that I guess is the definition of who we are that's why people want our services let's say right so that's why it may not actually be uh, a good idea to try to get rid of that um, but if we can find ways to make it easier for us which i guess the only requirement there is that we trust in what we are doing right so if so maybe there was a time, and this is something I, I'm noticing now that I have a child, and well, you've, you've had a child for much longer, right? So, but for me now to realize, okay, so maybe uh, like three years ago, ago, before my daughter was born, it took me five days to um, create X, right? So now I know I can create X in three hours. And the X I'm creating now is as valuable as the X I created three years ago it just requires it it's a different kind of effort but i trust in my ability to inject myself let's say into that piece of work and i guess that's really kind of like maybe what we're talking about here to make things easier is just to sort of uh, to understand that anything we touch uh turns to uh to gold <laughs> <laughs> if only yeah i know what you're saying i mean <laughs> there is i mean there's definitely a thing with me where i i'm kind of have an insane level of of, perfe of perfectionism and i really don't know mm 
where to draw the line with that or how much is necessary because you know i'll i'll do something and i'll think okay this is finally working for me it's finally good enough or i mean we'll take something like a guitar solo like i'll play a guitar solo and i'll be like no that is not good enough um i've got to do another take and then i'll, I'll think okay yeah that's that's okay but then or I'll, I'll do I'll, I've done a solo on an album where I just think okay well I don't have the chance to do another take there it is um, and I'll not be happy at all and other people are like oh no that's my favorite solo on the album mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like what yeah. that's just that's that's the worst one <laughs> and I realized that people are not hearing it the same way and what I'm what I'm hearing just may not be relevant the, the things I'm worried about may just not be relevant at all <laughs> and it's hard to know kind of where to draw the line and how much effort I could pull back on and still get as good a result. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I think I've, I've gotten pretty good at um, letting others make decisions for myself and then still feel like I made those decisions, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of a, a good thing. Like, but as you say, there, there are just some, some aspects where I'm not capable of letting go just, like where I have sort of like a better, sometimes I really believe that I have a better understanding about the interaction of say two musical instruments in the mix, let's say where I know, okay, if that, if the say the drums are a little quieter, there's going to be a better groove between the bass and the drums or something like that. Um, and I, I think I found a good way to, to communicate these things in, um, uh, in in nice ways and i think that's also kind of like you know like coming back to our relationship as musicians you know when we play together i think it's respect basically respect so even if i'm you know i may sometimes be kind of like dominant in the performance or even when when deciding on how the mix should be or something there is enough respect on your end and as well as in the other direction right that where we would say okay that's the decision that mark made well, that's the decision that Marcus made, and that's that's what's correct. That's what's right, and and I think this is sort of sort of really the kind of like the how do you say like the the gist of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, how can we kind of distrib- distribute responsibility um, between people that are working in the same team? And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel the same way working with you. There is, there's a respect and a, and a trust. I just, I trust that you, what you've done is, is good. I know it will be. And so there's just, I can let go and just trust that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, man, that's uh, like almost two hours of, uh, mm. of stuff for people to digest and, uh, this is sort of like the, the length and the, like the duration of these conversations that kind of makes sense, I think. So, um, is there, is there anything, uh, important you still want to say? No, I found that really fun and interesting and I hope listeners find it interesting. Um, yeah, I thought we went to some, well, I found like pretty interesting areas, nice format. I think that the free open format. Yeah. And to me, it's okay. It's, it's just like making music together. Like if, if you have like an intro, say that 
in the end turns out you don't need it, right? Like in our musical productions, we would maybe decide to just cut that out. But I find in, in these kinds of conversations, it's important for, I find it important for people to kind of like see and hear the whole story mm. and the, you know, the, how the process is unfolding. And, and um, anyway, that's just, just kind of like, again, that's my take on things. So I, I, I really, I really like that. And I thank you very much, uh, you know, for taking your Sunday afternoon uh, My to pleasure. do this with me. Always great to talk to you, Marcus. Yeah, same. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, La Casa Murada soon. And, yeah. um, you know, for September. And, um, yeah. Thanks and so much for now. And, um, for the, yeah. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye-bye for now. Bye.